good morning and uh, welcome to Jordan Valley Church. My name is John. If I uh, haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm glad that you're worshiping with us on this uh, first Sunday of the new year. I invite you to open up uh, to our scripture passage for today. It's Luke 9, 28 through 36. Luke 9, 28 through 36. So Luke 9, 28. <clears throat> About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning, Lord. You know our hearts, you know what's weighing on us, you know what we're hiding, you know the things that we don't even know about ourselves. We pray that your spirit would now work through your word to mold us, change us, fashion us, to look more like Christ. And we pray that you would do this in his name. Amen. Anyone here make any goals uh, for the new year? Anybody do anything? Got a couple of us? Okay, I see a few nods. Yeah, as I've gotten older, one of the things that I've realized is that I can't down entire bags of Sour Patch Kids like I did for most of my life. <laughs> and so I, you know, am, am fighting, struggling to change some of my eating habits, you know, in line with getting older. And you start off strong when you have a goal like this, right? I'm going to do this. I can do this. This will be the year that I'll make a difference. And then about eight hours later, you find yourself already negotiating with yourself. Well, it's okay to have just one treat today, or maybe I'm being too strict, or I'll, I'll take off today and I'll make up for it tomorrow. On December 31st, probably all of us have certain aspirations for, you know, the new and better you, whether it's fitness goals, health goals, work goals, family goals, personal goals, and you have this vision of what the new you is going to look like, right, after you go through this regimen. But then on January 1st, or if you're stronger than most of us, maybe January 2nd, you look at all those Christmas treats and say, it would be a waste to just throw away all this candy. And there's this battle going on in you, right, between these desires, competing desires. What is it that you want more? Do you want that goal that's some six months away and is going to require a lot of sacrifice and giving up what seems like fun right now? Or do you want to satisfy your salivating mouth and you don't want to be wasteful with all of this stuff? 
right? Is sticking to your goal going to be worth it? Are all the sacrifices that you need to make day in and day out to reach that going to be worth it in the end? And that's a question that we often ask as Christians as well, right? Is following Jesus going to be worth it? And for most of us, I think we end up with some sort of compromise, like we do with a lot of things in life, right? Well, yes, but not too much, right? I'll hold Jesus in one hand and the other things that I want in my other hand. I've got my dumbbell in this hand, right? I want to get healthier. And then I've got a cookie in this hand because I just don't really want to give it all the way up. But what if some of that half-heartedness that we approach to our faith is holding us back from what is best about our faith and what is best to be found in Jesus? We're entering back into our series through the book of Luke that we've called The King Has Come because one of the, the main themes we see in Luke is how the king of all creation has made his appearance in this earth. And his name is Jesus, and he's announcing the coming of his kingdom. And people get excited about it. But as we move through the book, we realize that people discover that Jesus' kingdom doesn't look like what they were expecting it to look like. In fact, it looks like a lot of suffering. And Jesus just said in the previous passage, in fact, I'm going to suffer, be rejected, and die. And the people that have been following Jesus start to wonder, is this worth it? Is it worth giving up all these things? Because to follow Jesus, it kind of feels like I have to deny myself of all these things that I've been wanting and dreaming for and relying on. And is that really worth it? And it's kind of like the sad existence of someone who just doesn't give ice, eat ice cream, right? Is it really living if you never eat ice cream? And what I want us to remember this morning is that Jesus will be worth it in the end. And Jesus will be worth it in the end. And we're going to look at it just two ways. First, a sneak preview of what's to come, a sneak preview. And then second, the call to follow him. So first, a sneak preview. This passage, often called the Transfiguration, is one of those passages that always has st um, stuck out to me. It's one that, as a kid, I was always fascinated by it. And I don't think you can read this passage without kind of wondering in your mind, what did this look like? What would it have been like to be there and, and have Jesus revealed in this way? But I never understood what's the point of it, right? Other than it being kind of a, a cool party trick, right? Hey, look at this cool thing that I can do. But, but why does Jesus do this? What is the significance of it? And as I worked through this passage, I, I realized that one of the main things that shows us the significance of it is the context in which this story is set. It comes right after the passage that Pastor Wes looked at last week, where Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, if your leader tells you all this, that's not a particularly reassuring message. Guess what, guys? Here's the plan. I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to be killed. In fact, it could look a lot like it's losing if that is what happens to your leader. And then Jesus goes on to say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. They're saying, Jesus is saying, guess what? This isn't just my path, but if you want to be my disciple, you've got to walk this path of suffering as well. Who's ready to sign up for that? Why would anyone want to follow Jesus then? If it's really an embrace 
of suffering. But then Jesus continues. This is again right before our passage. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their very self? Jesus is saying that if you walk this path, it's going to be hard. It's going to feel like some sort of you know, extreme dieting of life. You're going to give up things. It will feel like you're losing your life. But the path that that takes you on will actually lead to something that will be worth it in the end. You will gain your life. This is that tension that every one of us feels. It's the reason why we make goals for the new year is because we know there are certain things in our life that aren't great. There are things that aren't ideal changes we want. We want a better life. And so we think, how can I walk that path and give something up to get something greater? And Jesus says, what you gain in following him is greater than the whole world. Right? He says, because he says, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose yourself? Which means that what you gain in following Jesus is worth more than the whole world. Now that's an impressive thing. Right? That is the reward for those who follow Christ. But then imagine you hear that and say, okay, maybe this will be worth it. I can do this. And you're following Jesus as one of his disciples, but then the next day you wake up from sleeping on another uncomfortable mattress in another random house because Jesus keeps moving around from city to city and you don't have much to eat and your poll numbers are going down. And then Jesus says, and actually all of this is my plan. And guess what? It gets better. I'm actually going to be betrayed and die. And now you're wrestling. Is following Jesus going to be worth it? It's not going to be good for my social capital. You know what, Jesus? Maybe it's not worth it. I think I'm going to go back another candidate. It's not worth it following you. And that excitement of being with Jesus at the beginning has now worn off. It's February, and you're really struggling to keep your goals, and you're about to just, you know, rip them all up and forget about them. The suffering seems way more than what you could gain. And is it worth it? But then one day Jesus invites you as some of his closest followers to climb up this mountain with him. If you've been here long, you know that I love climbing up mountains. One of my kind of informal goals is climbing every major peak on the Wasatch Range. And Jesus shows us that's a good goal to have. Jesus liked to climb mountains. And it makes you wonder, what was it like to climb a mountain with Jesus? Is he in good shape? Does he always have to wait for you? Do you have to wait for him? Does he make New Year's resolutions too? Well, one thing I think we could, you know, make an educated guess on is the hike wore the other disciples out because Peter, James, and John end up falling asleep. And Jesus was praying up on top of that mountain. And on that mountain, or at least on that hike, Jesus' words take on deeper meaning. Take up your pack and follow Jesus up the mountain. And you're wondering, man, is this hike worth it? Is it worth it to get up to the top? But then when you get there, Jesus shows you something that's way better than the best view from the top of the mountain. He shows you something that changes your life and shows you that this world is not what it appears like, and following Jesus 
is worth it. It's worth suffering a lot for. It's worth giving up a lot for. And that's why the context of our previous passage is so important. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all put these two incidents right next to each other, which is fairly rare in the Gospels. And so what, is happens, what happens up on that mountain? Well, we see in verse 29, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changes, and his clothes become as bright as a flash of lightning. It's like the curtain of Jesus' humanity is being pulled back, and what's on the inside starts breaking out into the world. The language here is used to describe God in various other passages. 1 John 1, 5, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 Timothy 6, 16, God who lives in unapproachable light. And remember Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. It's like this thick curtain that has separated heaven from earth is pulled back a little bit and that unapproachable light comes breaking out into the world. And it's not a reflection of the light that Jesus has, but Jesus is the light himself, his body, him, his own essence is breaking forth into the world to show his glory. And then it gets a little crazier. Moses and Elijah show up. And they don't just show up, but it says they show up in glorious splendor. Now, many people wonder, well, why these two people? Moses, we can kind of understand, he's one of the most famous and significant figures in Israel's history. He was kind of like their Abraham Lincoln leading them out of slavery. Elijah's maybe a little harder Though he's one of the most famous prophets after Moses, and he stood up to the corrupt powers in his day. And maybe that's what ties these two together, that both Moses and Elijah suffered a lot for following God. They picked up their crosses and followed Jesus before they knew that's what they were doing. Moses suffered first with Pharaoh but then the very people that he rescued after slavery, if you're familiar with the story, what do they do? He gets them out of Egypt and they don't thank him and, and you know, want to follow him and are loyal to him. No, they complain all the time about all the ways he's messed up for them. Right? And they want to reject him. They, can't, you know, they uh, can't say anything good about Moses. And yet selflessly he continues to lead them onto their home. And then maybe the whole most tragic part of the story is when he can see that place that he's been leading the people to, he's not allowed to go into it. But he dies alone on top of a mountain, seeing the home from a distance. And Elijah found himself on the wrong side of King Ahab, one of the worst kings in Israel's history. And he found himself often alone, standing up for what is right by himself and beat down. It was not a life of glory and riches, but one of suffering and it wore him out. He gave up a lot to follow God. And if you looked at both of their lives from what we see in the Old Testament and asked, is following God worth it? And you look at the ark of their life and say, I don't know if it is. God didn't seem to do a lot of good for them. In fact, it just led to more suffering. But both of their deaths were also unusual. Moses died alone on top of a mountain, but then it says that God took care of his body and no one knows where he was buried. Elijah was taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot. And it was almost in both of their deaths, it was like this little clue that God was giving us and showing them that though life was hard, 
And though your life was marked by unending suffering, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your Father's rest. God himself is tending for their bodies at the end of their life. And here in our passage, we gain a bigger perspective on Elijah and Moses' life. We see the future that awaits those who pick up their cross and follow Jesus. They are wrapped in a glorious splendor. They look the best they've ever looked. And you realize it's worth it. The weight and the burden from all those years and tears and heartbreak and weariness that they carried as Moses selflessly led the people through the desert and all they did was complain has been washed off and he looks glorious. And it's a reminder, don't, you know, we don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge one's life by what they seem to have achieved in this world. There is a glory that is veiled right now. And there are selfless people who are suffering and loving others and caring for others who their life might not look like anything from our perspective and from the world's perspective, but they are storing up riches in heaven. They'll be heavenly celebrities. They'll be glorious to see. And everyone on earth may have missed them because we weren't looking at the right things. And so many who are seen as successful today, right? so many that we kind of even secretly envy and wish we were more like, but we think, oh, but I would use their stuff for good, not like they do, who gain so much in this world, all of those things will be revealed for its true worth in the end, which will just turn to dust and ashes. And so here's Jesus, Moses, and Elijah discussing his departure, which is going to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Many have noticed that the word for departure is the word for exodus, which maybe there's some significance in that, that Jesus is going to be leading his people through the sea of death into the promised land through his death and resurrection. And so Peter, who's always the most proactive one, has, a, has an idea, although we learn in the comment it's not a great idea. And he says, hey, let's build three tents up here so you guys can stay for a while. And we'll get to that in a second. But then as he's speaking, this cloud appears and he covers them. And the disciples enter into the darkness, the depth of that cloud, and then they hear this voice in the cloud. And again, think of the significance of that. The clearest reference takes us all the way back to Exodus 18, or 19, verse 18, where Mount Sinai is covered with smoke and God meets with Moses there. It says, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Or again, when Solomon builds the temple for Israel, and they dedicate that temple, and do you remember what happens? 1 Kings 8, 10. The cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priest could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled this temple. And now it's like this place that the priests, that, that cloud of glory that the priests couldn't enter in, they had to go back. The disciples get to stand in the middle of this cloud of glory. The mountain has become a temple. It's like a portal 
was opened between heaven and earth on top of that mountain and the heavenly realities are breaking forth. And Peter, James, and John get to stand up in the middle of it and look around and hear God's voice traveling from heaven to speak to them. And they think, okay, well, maybe it will be worth it. And this brings us to our second point, follow him. And Peter's in shock by it all. So he says the first thing that comes to his mind, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Yeah, I, I often will say things that I regret, and especially in the age of everything being recorded and living forever online, the stakes are all the higher, right? But at least your words aren't written down forever in the Bible, <laughs> where people are still talking about your foolish words 2,000 years later, right? That probably wins the award. Well, what is Peter doing here? Why does he say this thing? You know, some have noted that the word for shelter is the same word for tabernacle, which is kind of that movable temple that Israel used before they built their permanent temple. And some think maybe that's what Peter was wanting to do, to build three tabernacles. God's made this mountain a temple, so Peter's like, well, hey, let's just make it official. Let's build some tabernacles up here. And this type of thing is common, right? You can travel to mountains around the world, and up at the top of them, there's some sort of shrine or some sort of thing of, that um, you know, denotes that a special spiritual or supernatural experience may have occurred here. But it's weird that Peter would say that he wants to build three tabernacles because tabernacles are for worshiping. And why would they worship Elijah and Moses along with Jesus? So it doesn't seem like the tabernacle is what he's getting at. Another possibility is, is much more simple, just that Peter likes the idea of staying up here on the mountain. Mountaintop experiences are great. Spiritual highs. You've maybe had certain experiences that changed your own life and things that you can't explain to others. And you had that thing and maybe it changed the trajectory of your life and you want to hold on to those feelings. You don't want to leave the mountain. You want to keep living in that place. Because the day-to-day -day life of picking up your cross and following Jesus is causing a lot of blisters. I wish I could just experience something like that again. I wish I could just see that, experience that, be in that place. But now, back on the trail, you're wondering, is following God worth it? Is God still with me? Because it doesn't feel like he's with me like he was back on that mountain. And I think that's what Peter wants. He wants to prolong that experience up there. Master, it's good for us to be here. This is way better up here than life back down in the valley where there's all kinds of stress and suffering and they don't like you. Why do we need to go back? Jesus, let's just retire, call it good, and build a retirement home up here and just live out the rest of our days in peace. Maybe this is a way for Peter to try to influence Jesus. Remember, what did Peter say, or what did Jesus say just eight days earlier? The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And maybe Peter's trying to say, Jesus, no, like, here's, it's way better up here on the mountain. Far away from your detractors and the people that want to kill you, you're with friends, you look amazing, I'll even build you a house up here. But remember Jesus' words. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their very self? 
And why did Jesus come? Born to die, that man might live. But Peter's wrestling, but wouldn't it nice just to be skip the suffering and go right to glory? I mean, look. And then a voice comes out of the cloud, this is my son, whom I love, whom, whom I have chosen, listen to him. It's similar wording to Jesus' baptism. And then like that, everything goes away, and they're all alone, and it's like none of this even happened. Just these disciples and Jesus, and all of his glory seems to have washed off, and things are back to normal. But then they hear that Father's voice, listen to him. And it's like God the Father is showing them Jesus is the one who will be worth it even when it doesn't look like it right now, even when he's back to his normal self, right? And it looks like he did, and you're wondering, this is going to be hard. And it's like the Father says, don't forget what I've shown you here. Don't forget what awaits my people who follow me to the end. Even when you go back down the mountain, and the wonder of this experience wears off, and you're in the day-to-day suffering of life, and the doldrums, and the disappointment, don't forget who Jesus really is. The transfiguration puts our life into perspective that you can't judge this world by its cover. That what Jesus offers you is going to be so much better than all the messages that we are bombarded with day after day about what you think you need to be happy or fulfilled or in a little better shape or whatever. And the problem is, at least in my life and probably in all of ours, is that we are reluctant to go all in with Jesus, to pick up, to give up our life, and to pick up our cross and fully follow him. Instead, we've got Jesus in one hand, and we've got all these other things we're trying to hold on to in the other hand. And what are those other things? It's all kinds of stuff. You know, probably for a lot of us, it's little sins, sinful habits we hold on to, guilty pleasures, things we live with that we are afraid to give up because it kind of feels good, or it helps with stress, or it distracts us from the present pain. Paul gives us a good list of a lot of these things we probably all struggle with in Galatians 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness. And probably every one of us, there's a few of those that we're kind of holding in one hand because they kind of make us feel better. We like to keep that as a backup when it doesn't feel like Jesus is worth it. There's all kinds of other things, good things that we take, and we turn them into the ultimate things. Our money, career, status, sports, fitness, health, relationships, houses. You pursue and think and plan for those things with greater devotion than you do in trying to follow Jesus. And you and me, we all, we compromise with Jesus. We're unwilling to kind of 
let go of all these things that we've kind of secretly packed in our pack on this journey to know Christ that we think God doesn't know we're there, but when he's not looking, we zip up that, open up that little zipper and pull that thing out, right, and enjoy it. Because God doesn't seem to be helping. And why are we afraid to let go of these things? I think it's so much because we're afraid that if we let go of them, God's going to take them away and we'll be condemned to a long life of suffering and misery with no out. And who wants to live that way? So we follow Jesus, but we keep that little stash of guilty pleasures in the back, thinking that God doesn't care that much about them. But we don't realize that it's those very things that we think you need to hold on to to be satisfied, to be happy. Those things that are so little are like lead weights that are holding you back from the full and free and glorious wide open life that is found in Christ. From stepping into life with him because you aren't able to embrace him. You're divided. Your heart is divided. Your mind is divided. And we shouldn't forget the transfiguration that Jesus will be worth it. He's a much better father than we realize and he's not looking just to take everything good away from you now and tell you to suffer. He gives you so many good gifts in the here and now and yet he also shows that if he does call you to suffer in some deep ways and many Christians have where it seems like there's no out, no end in sight and just everything is stripped away that even if you end your life that way you haven't lost anything because the glory on the other side of the cross, of death, will far outshine the most glorious things on this earth. They'll look like dust and ashes. And you'll realize that Jesus was completely worth it. So what are you holding on to? What are these little things that you think, I don't, that's not making a big difference. And yet it's weighing down your soul from experiencing full life in Christ. Embrace Jesus with both hands, with all of your heart. Don't be divided. And realize he will not let you down. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would really help us. Lord, show us with greater clarity all of these things that we've kind of snuck into our life that we're really afraid to let go of. Lord, some of the things are are simply sinful. And yet we think they're in small enough proportions, or we've gotten used to them, or we've reasoned it away that we don't think it's that bad. But Lord, break our hearts again. Show us how much these things are holding us back from something better. Other of us, we've just taken the good gifts you've given us and turned them into our gods. What we're really living for and show us that those things are just mere reflections of the glory that is found in Christ himself. And so help us to long for him with new vigor. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.